Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Book Reviews by the Armed Historian, and I am the Armed Historian. Today's book that we'll be looking at is titled By What Standard? Buckle up, folks, because this book is jam-packed with a ton of information in its short 224 pages. So much information that we won't be able to cover it all in detail. But that's okay, because this is a book review, and it's not my job to go through everything in detail, right? So there are 10 chapters and an appendix written by various authors. Each chapter is its own subject, so technically we could do an episode on each chapter, but then we wouldn't get to a lot of other fabulous books, so we're not going to do that. Let me briefly lay out the topics for each chapter so you know what subject matter is discussed, and then I'm going to look at two chapters more closely and leave it for you to get the book and dive into the rest. I'm actually part of a book club with a couple other ladies, and this is the book that we just finished up. It deals with current cultural matters that are so very important for Christians to be aware of. We cannot turn a blind eye to what is happening in our culture. A blind eye turned allows things to continue down the path that we are headed. Change is desperately needed, and the church needs to speak up against the evils being promoted and boldly proclaim God's truth. Let me briefly quote another book, Heaven Misplaced by Doug Wilson. This is another book that I'll be doing a review on in the near future. Doug asks in chapter 14, quote, If God grants a genuine reformation, it will be one like that which was granted in the 16th century, and the most obvious common feature it will share with that earlier reformation will be that it challenges the rulers of this age. No greater indictment of the contemporary church than this can be found. The secular state is operating on all cylinders, and yet for the most part, the Christian pulpit remains a safe place to be. More pastors ought to wonder about this. Shouldn't ministers and churches be more concerned than they are about the lack of opposition they are facing? And shouldn't they be willing to consider if it isn't the result of diluting the message? found on pages 118 to 119. Again, that's Heaven Misplaced by Doug Wilson. Being silent or wishy-washy is not an option that we can consider. So without further ado, and please forgive me for any name mispronunciations that I will have. Chapter one is titled Hollow and Deceptive Philosophies, written by Tom Askell, who has been a pastor since 1986 and is also president of Founders Ministries. In this chapter, he discusses the false philosophies that are seeping their way into the modern American church and wreaking havoc. This includes critical theory, which gave birth to the critical race theory, and cultural Marxism. Tom also wrote chapter 4 titled, White Privilege, the New Original Sin. Here he addresses the lies of white privilege and how orthodoxy has been replaced by political correctness, holiness has been replaced by the number of victim statuses one has, conversion is now becoming woke, which is awake to cultural Marxist categories, and original sin is now your privilege, white privilege most of all. Vodi Bauckham, who has written several other books, 
was a former pastor in Texas and is now Dean of Theology at the African Christian University in Lusaka, Zambia, wrote three of the ten chapters in his book. In chapter two, titled Cultural Marxism, Fodi discusses how traditional Marxism, with its emphasis on economics, has evolved into cultural Marxism with its emphasis on culture and what exactly that entails. He also addresses intersectionality. He also wrote chapter seven titled Ethnic Gnosticism, and that's one of the two chapters that I want to discuss later, so I'll leave off of that right now. And then he wrote chapter nine on racial reconciliation, where he challenges Christians to ask themselves if we really believe that the Bible is sufficient to address this matter. We are already reconciled in Christ, and Bodhi challenges us to, quote, walk in that reality, page 135. So I'll leave you with this one quote from chapter nine, and then you'll have to go read it yourself. He says, quote, don't you dare add anything to the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is sufficient to reconcile us. It is enough, and it is the only thing that can reconcile us. Page 132. The next author we encounter is Jared Longshore, an associate pastor of a church in Florida and a board member and vice president of Founders Ministries. Jared is the author of Chapter 3, titled The Religious Root of Our Sexual Perversion. In this chapter, Jared discusses how paganism, which is the worship of the creature, often the worship of yourself, is the root of the sexual perversions we witness at every turn in our society today. These perversions are incompatible with Christian faith and are at odds with the reality as God has structured it. Jared Longshore says on page 33, Generally speaking, Grievous sexual sin is itself God's handing over of those who have already turned away from him to worship the creature. End of quote. Take a look at Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32. But I digress. You need to read the book yourself. Jared Longshore also writes chapter 6 titled God's Created Order, Living Justly as Male and Female. And this is the other of the two chapters that I'll deal with more later on in this review. Chapter 5 was written by Tom Nettles, the retired professor of church history and historical theology at the Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. This chapter, titled Biblical Justice and Social Justice, deals with the differences between the two. This was a very deep chapter, and all three of us ladies in my book club that I'm part of had trouble fully grasping this chapter. It's one that will require another read on my part. Chapter 8, titled Mature Manhood, is written by Mark Coppinger, who has an extensive bio that deserves a quick Google on your phone for the shock and awe factor. In this chapter, he addresses the role of women and men as God-mandated. It's a great chapter to read and ponder. It speaks about the damage done by the feminist movement over the past many decades, and basically it's encouraging men to be men. Now, it's not my job as a woman to tell a man how to be a man. That's the job of other men. But if you're wondering in which direction to start, you really should check out Toby Sumter's sermon titled, Do Not Give Your Strength to Women. It's on YouTube, and I'll put the link in the description. 
Chapter 10 is written by Chad Vegas, the founding pastor of his church where he has served since 2006. He is also the founding board chairman for Radius International, a missionary training organization. This chapter, titled Gospel Privilege and Global Missions, deals with the greatest privileged group in the entire world. And spoiler alert, it's not who everyone thinks it is. It's us, Christians, we who have the gospel. That is true privilege, and we have an obligation to take the gospel and share it with the world. Chad Vegas tells us that there are over 3,100 people groups in the world that do not have access to the Bible. We should be seeking to bridge that gap between those of us who have the gospel and those who do not. We are a mission-minded people. Finally, we have the very long appendix written by Timon Klein who not only has a law degree, but also a master's of arts and religion degree, and writes extensively on law, religion, and politics. The appendix, titled Identity Politics and the Bondage of the Will, is another chapter like chapter 5 that was very deep and will require further reading on my part. So wowza, that's a lot! All of those topics are jam-packed into this 224-page book, and it was very hard to decide which chapters to focus on for this book review because they are all fabulous. As I mentioned, each chapter is a different topic, and we'd be hard-pressed to dive into them all. So first on my docet is Chapter 6, God's Created Order, Living Justly as Man and Woman by Jared Longshore. Let's start off this chapter's discussion with a quote from its author. Quote, It is not a stretch to say our culture has lost its mind on the issue of manhood and womanhood. Amid this sexual insanity, the church must decide where to stand. If we emphasize God's design of male and female, we are going to come into conflict with the world. If we de-emphasize the divine order, perhaps we can keep some measure of peace, and at least appear to be kind? I'm convinced that the church must winsomely and boldly exalt God's design for man and woman. We must do this because God is truth. He is creator. We must exalt his design because our culture's position on manhood and womanhood is the outworking of a corrupt philosophy, a philosophy which, if adopted, can only lead to despair. And that's on page 92. Our culture has embraced a pagan ideology, quote, one which claims man is God, close quote. And if man is God, then he can define things and roles the way he wants to. We see that sexual issues have become political issues. Why is that? Jared Longshore tells us that politics are a result of our culture and the worldview that the culture adheres to. So if the culture has turned to paganism, putting man in the place of God, it stands to reason that these things find themselves at the heart of political issues. For decades, our society has told children that they can be whatever they want to be when they grow up. Sounds innocent enough. In fact, many Christians have told their children the same thing. I heard it myself growing up. Most people mean career. You can pick whatever career you want to be. But is it any wonder that those children 
who were told they could be whatever they wanted to be, took that claim to heart and grew up wanting to be a girl when they were born a boy, or vice versa, or to be physically attracted to their same gender. This should not shock us at all. Man and woman were created in the image of God, so we are equal in dignity. But we have ordained differences. Check out 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and Genesis chapter 2. All of these deal with those ordained differences. Page 94. The church is at a crossroads. Will it conform to the demands from culture to change and match the agenda? Or will it conform to God's ordained order? Jared Longshore says that, quote, Battle lines are drawn at truth, goodness, and beauty. Page 96. And he then goes on to address all three of these battles. He discusses the damage wrought by the feminist movement and the irony of women trying to tear down men, but then having men be the standard, meaning they want to be treated like a man. I love following the Sheologians podcast. It's a podcast for women. You really ought to check it out. Uh, They support biblical roles for men and women, and in their online shop, you can order merchandise that has this slogan on it. It says, feminism is poison. I love that slogan because it's so true. I'm kind of waiting for them to put that on a hoodie. I have a hoodie addiction in case you wanted to know. Anyway, back on course. Jared Longshore discusses how God's created order is good and that goodness involves suitability to an end, meaning we all have a suitable role that we were created to fill, page 99. He then quotes John Piper on page 99 to 100, saying, At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. And, at the heart of true femininity, is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. End of quote. We have our God-given roles as men and women that complement each other, and we only bring chaos and despair into our lives when we deviate from those roles. Finally, he discusses true beauty. God, as the author of beauty, is by default the one who defines beauty. And we end up with a lot of chaos when the world tries to redefine what is beautiful. He wraps up his chapter with a call to trust in Christ, the one who lived, died, and rose again for our salvation. The second chapter that I wanted to take a closer look at is chapter 7, titled Ethnic Gnosticism, written by Vodi Bauckham. And while this has become a race issue, Vody points out that it does go beyond race. It's also being applied to gender and sexual orientation. This is the idea that because of my race, gender, or sexual orientation, I can know something that you can't know. I can interpret the intention of what you said or did as being oppressive. And if you deny my interpretation, you are wrong, privileged, and must be educated meaning made woke. This nurtures the idea of belonging to groups, but it is actually dividing us up as a society and culture. 
ethnic Gnosticism is antithetical to the Bible. Now, Vodi is not saying that ethnicity, culture, and nationality are wrong. In fact, he states they are good things. He also calls out those who claim to be colorblind. He says, quote, Nobody is colorblind, and it would be an affront to God to try to be so. He continues, God didn't give me all this rich, beautiful melanin so you could act like I don't have it. Page 108. Now, this reminds me of the DC Talk song from 1995. That's a long time ago. The lyrics are beautiful, so let's consider them now. They go like this. Pardon me, your epidermis is showing, sir. I couldn't help but note your shade of melanin. I tip my hat to the colorful arrangement, because I see the beauty in the tones of our skin. We've got to come together and thank the maker of us all. We are colored people who depend on a holy grace. A piece of canvas is only the beginning, for it takes on character with every loving stroke. This thing of beauty is the passion of an artist's heart. By God's design, we are a skin kaleidoscope. I'll put the link to this song on YouTube in the description. I know it's an older song, but the message is timeless. God is the artist, and we are his handiwork. He created a diverse world so that we could see the beauty of it and be in awe of his majesty and glorify him because of it. Vodi then goes on to share what the benefits of ethnic and cultural identity are. Number one, they are conduits for cultural tradition. We should be able to travel and see the beauty in people and cultures that are not like us. Number two, Ethnic and cultural identity teaches us dependence and humility. Where one group is strong, another is weak. Quote, no single group possesses all the good. Page 109. Number three, it teaches us providence. Each ethnic group or culture has a traceable history that teaches us, quote, who we come from, how we got here, and how by God's grace we survived. Page 109. And number four, it teaches us the consequences of sin. A nation cannot commit great sin and avoid the consequences. We see that in our own nation and we reap the consequences of our sin. As Christians, we must carefully walk God's path and not fall for the opposing arguments that pull too far in opposite directions. For example, in one direction, we have people saying ethnicity doesn't matter. But it does. In the New Testament, we see Paul very passionate about his fellow Jewish people. Now, in the opposing direction, you have people saying ethnicity is everything. And this divides more than anything and does not foster genuine relationships. See pages 111 to 112. Racism does exist, and it is an evil that needs to be addressed. But when one claims to know the intent of someone else, claiming that that person doesn't know their own intent, we've gone too far. Racism has become the unpardonable sin, and you can be racist without realizing it. And the conflict is when Christians and the church buy into this philosophy. 
Where does God's grace come into play then if this sin is unpardonable? Whoa, wow, that was a lot of information. So I hope I've whetted your appetite enough to go and read this book. I've given you a super brief overview of the chapters in this book and a slightly longer look at two of those chapters, but the content is so great and extensive, you'll be doing yourself a disservice by not reading this book. Also, let me point you towards a YouTube video that was put out by the same group of people responsible for this book. It's a great complimentary resource to go with this read. It's quite long, one hour, 50 minutes, so don't click the link and expect a quick five-minute something. But it's just as good as the book, and it helps fill in and explain some of the things. You will see some of the inner workings of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is at a crossroads as compromise seeps in and others fight that compromise tooth and nail. Some of the authors that wrote this book are interviewed, so it's fun to put faces to names and hear them speak, so I'll put that link in the description. So I hope you've enjoyed today's book review podcast. I'll see you next time, and until then, walk through life armed with truth, and that means knowing your Bible and knowing your history. We are sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Matthew 10, 16.